0: Today, Pastor Greg Laurie and author Don Stewart provide help for believers who are asked tough questions by non-believers.
2: So, Don, when you're asked a question, you don't know the answer. Do, what do you do? Yeah, you just say, look, I don't know, but I will find out because somebody yeah. knows the
1: answer. Yeah. The answers are there. It's just finding where they're at. And don't let people tell you because you don't know the answer on the spot and that one second is, of oh, that's it. Christianity falls down. No, I don't know the answer, but I'll find it out because, again, there are answers and that's the great news. Yeah, that's right.
2: This is... This
0: is the day for Gene maker Levi Strauss is credited with saying an expert knows all the answers if you ask the right questions. Trouble is, when a non-believer is throwing the questions our way, he or she may ask a tough one, and he'll find out that we're not an expert. Today on A New Beginning, Pastor Greg Laurie invites his friend and Bible scholar Don Stewart to join him as they discuss how to address the toughest questions non-believers ask. It's one of the past year's most requested presentations.
2: Good evening. Well, welcome. And we're going to have a very interesting discussion tonight that I think you're going to be glad you came to be a part of. I'm going to interview in a few moments my friend, like a real Bible scholar, Don Stewart. And uh, so it's kind of hard to stump Don. I always try to. But he pretty much knows the answer to every question I can think of. So we'll get to that in a moment. And if you're out sharing your faith, it's only gonna be a matter of time until a non-believer will fire some of those hard questions your direction. And I think we need to understand that one of the reasons non-believers do this is not always because they want the answer to their questions, but because they want you to leave them alone, right? (laughs) Right? Uh, years ago, we used to go to a restaurant when Jonathan was just a little guy. He was still in a high chair, and uh, I don't know why, but there was this one waitress in the restaurant who really liked Jonathan. And so she would sort of hover around him and pinch his cheek and tell him how cute he was and all that. And and one time we were in this restaurant, and the whole time she was just showing him all this interest and affection, he was muttering something. Right? He kept saying it the whole time and. And finally, when she left, he said, Jonathan, what are you saying? And he said, I'm saying go bye-bye. So (laughs) he just wanted her to go away. And sometimes when we're engaging someone as a Christian, they ask you these questions because they literally want you to go bye-bye, okay? But I don't want you to be put off by that. I remember when I was not a Christian, I, I used to have a pretty good, tough exterior that I hid behind. And I remember I would see Christians walking around handing out their little booklets and tracts and I wanted someone to engage me with the gospel. But when a Christian would approach, I would scowl at them and they bought it and would just sort of thrust a track in my direction and walk off. When in my heart it was literally saying, please talk to me. And I kept all of those tracts in a drawer at home Uh, in my bedroom, and every now and then I'd pull that drawer out, which was kind of my God drawer, because that is where I put everything that was given to me that was religious. I had information from evangelical Christians, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, you name it, it was in this drawer. And I would throw it out on the bed and at times try to sort it out. I needed someone to show me the way. So we want to pray for wisdom, because sometimes people are asking questions because they really want answers and sometimes they want us to just, well, go bye bye. Here's what the Bible says, 2 Timothy 2.15, be diligent and study to present yourself approved to God, a worker that does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So we need to study because you don't want to be caught without any answers. Now, we're gonna address this in a few moments. It's not the end of the world if you don't have the answer for every question you're asked. But we wanna do our best to be prepared because 1 Peter 3.15 says we should always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks us for the reason of the hope we have, and we should do it with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience. And so the idea is we, we wanna have an answer if we can And that phrase there, give an answer, comes from a root word, apologia, where we get our English word apologetic from. An apologetic in this context is to give a verbal defense or a logical explanation of what you believe. Being a Christian does not mean you check your brains at the door, as some would think. And and really, it was when I started reading the Bible that things started making sense to me. Uh, I used to believe that man was basically good. Well that's a hard belief to hold in this day and age, isn't it? Because I saw so many things that contradicted that. But when I read the Bible, and I realized that man is not basically good, but actually, man is basically bad. In fact, he's ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-bad. He's bad to the bone, right? I learned that from reading the Bible. C.S. Lewis said, quote, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun is risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. So we want to have the answers, but here's the key. We don't want to dispense the information we have from God's Word like a sledgehammer. You know, if you want to win some, you must be winsome. You must be kind. You must be caring. And you know, when we're talking to non-believers one-on-one, it should be a dialogue, not a monologue. Uh, I don't like it when I see Christians preaching in the face of people, like yelling at them and waving their Bible. You know, keep it conversational. Don't compromise what you're saying, but you don't have to yell. To preach does not mean elevating your volume. It means communicating the message. So when we're told to go into all the world and preach the gospel, it's articulating this message in a way that people can understand. Our objective is not to win the argument. It is to win the soul. Let me say that again. Our objective is not to win the argument. It's to win the soul. I wanna try to the best of my ability, by God's grace, and the leading of the Holy Spirit to win that person to Christ. Well, having said that, it won't be long if you're out telling others about Jesus before you're asked the following questions and then some. How could a God of love allow suffering in the world? If God is all good and God is all loving, why does he allow injustice, uh, tragedies, uh, terrorism, war, uh, and all the other problems that life throws our way? Or how about this one? How can you say that the Bible is the word of God? The Bible is full of contradictions. What about the person who has never heard the gospel? You know, living out in the middle of a jungle somewhere. I don't know why they're always in the jungle. But, uh, or out in the middle of a desert, they've never heard about Jesus Christ. Will God send them to hell? Or how about this one? How can you say Jesus Christ is the only way to God? I believe they'll say that all religions teach the same thing and Christ is just one of many ways. How do we respond to those questions? By the way, have you ever been asked any of those questions? I just, yeah, so you've heard them. So let's bring a bona fide scholar out to help us. Let's give a warm harvest welcome to Don Stewart. Hey, Don. Hey, Greg. So, Don, have you ever been asked a question you, like, did not know the answer to? Yeah, in fact,
1: every question I was ever asked, Greg, the first time I was asked, I didn't know the answer. And so yeah. what I said, I
2: don't sure. know, but I'll find out. So the next time they ask it, I knew the answer. Oh, yeah, all the time in early years. So that, you know, brings us to the question, what about when you're asked a question you don't know the answer to, what do you do? Yeah, you just say, look, I don't know, but I will find out because somebody yeah. knows
1: the answer. Yeah. The answers are there. It's just finding where they're at. And don't let people tell you because you don't know the answer on the spot and that one second is of oh, that's it Christianity falls down. No, not at all. And so people have thought that and said that, but no, I don't know the answer, but I'll find it out because again there are answers, and that's the great news. Yeah, that's right.
0: Pastor Greg Laurie and his friend and Bible scholar Don Stewart providing help for believers who've been asked tough questions by non-believers. They're presenting a message on the hard questions we face about our faith in one of our most requested presentations from the past year.
2: Now, okay, let's start with the one that is often asked, and this isn't the easiest question to answer, but uh, it's a question of the the existence of evil in the world. Yeah. And there are so many ways to illustrate this, but it's usually framed something along the lines of, how could a God of love? I love how they always frame it with, how could a God of love? So immediately by starting that way, they're already saying, in effect that A, they're the judge to determine if God is a God of love or not. And so already they're saying they they think that God is not loving because of these things. But how could a God of love allow evil and suffering in the world? Uh, If God is all powerful, why doesn't he stop it? Uh, Does he not care about us? And and as it was uh, framed in one uh, question on Facebook to me, why should I, the non-believer, believe in a God that allows chaos, destruction, and horrible things to happen in my lifetime on earth, like with natural disaster, war, and politics? So this is one of the great, horrible things on the world to him today. So what is, okay, so here I am out, I'm out sharing my faith, and they hit me with this. How deep into that answer do I go? How would you respond?
1: Okay, what you want to say is, this isn't the world that God created. We live in an abnormal world. The world God created was perfect. Genesis 1:31. The Lord said after He'd finished creating, it was not just good; it was very good. Mm-hmm. But it's not very good now because Genesis chapter 3 tells us sin entered the world at a certain time in the past, mm-hmm. and because of that, uh, things evil happens. Things people die. The world has fallen. Now, that's the world we're in now. The good news is it's not always going to be that way. Revelation twenty-one five, the Lord says, I'm going to make all things new someday. And that's one of the wonderful promises in the Bible. So the first thing we want to get across is sin brought death, dying, and destruction to the world. It wasn't something God originally made. So this is not the world that God made. We have to understand that. Because if this world was the world that God made, then God would be evil. He would be the devil. But he didn't make this world this way. It became this way because of the sin of the first two humans. Yeah.
2: And a lot of the suffering in the world today is actually brought on to man by man. I mean, we like to conveniently make God the scapegoat for all that is wrong. But we talk about war. We talk about terrorism. We talk about a lot of these things. And it's really us doing this to ourselves because we have a sinful nature, yeah. which kind of addresses the whole issue of man being basically good. We really aren't basically good, are we? No, we're not. We're fallen. Now, we're not as bad as we could be.
1: Yeah. And each and every one of us, Greg, is the potential of doing every type of abominable sin. It's only the grace of God we don't do these things. There's goodness in people. Yeah, Yeah. but we're basically, we're fallen creatures. And so we're bent towards doing evil. You don't have to teach a child to be evil or do things wrong. If you have children, you know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, Junior knows right away what's right and wrong. You don't have
2: to teach him wrong. So coming back to the question of suffering, you know, another thing I think that can be brought up is is God can work through suffering. You know, sometimes it's mm-hmm. suffering that brings people to Christ. I mean, I receive letters all the time of people that are down and out. One guy wrote me recently, he's in prison for some bad choices he made, got into drugs, he been dealing drugs, but it was in prison that he heard the gospel. Or I, I mentioned this to you another time, but um, I read a story in a newspaper about a guy The headline of the article was, Man is thankful he was bitten by shark. I'm thinking, what? I have to read this. And what happened was this guy was out swimming, a shark bit. I'm a great white. And uh, so he went into the hospital to be treated for the shark bite. And while they were treating him and doing some surgery on him, they discovered cancer. And so because of that, they were able to remove the cancer that he didn't know he had. So he says, I thank God that shark saved my life. So sometimes, you know, a tragedy, a hardship, a difficulty can be a wake-up call to show us our need for God.
1: Yeah, you know, Greg, when I was a young Christian, I read a book by a man named Lewis Berry Chafer. He was the former president of Dallas Theological Seminary. And he it was on Satan. It's called Satan's Masterpiece. And something I never thought of. He said, Satan's masterpiece isn't the guy down and out, the drunk on the street. Mm. It's the person living on the bluff that's got everything going for him, that doesn't need God, doesn't need anything. The guy down and out knows they need help, right? And that's why they look look for something else. But the people that seemingly have everything, they don't need anybody. And so when people are doing fine, they don't turn to God. But what happens immediately when problems come? Turning to God, they start crying out
2: someone asked me this question the other day, what about the person that has everything? And I think this comes to maybe a way we present the gospel that's not completely accurate. And by this I mean sometimes we'll sort of present the gospel as my life was messed up and I was empty and lonely and Jesus came into my life and now I found purpose and joy. And that's all true and that's good and it's fine to say those things. But don't only say those things. Because this person asked the question, well, what about the person who says, actually, I'm pretty happy and I don't feel this emptiness maybe you had. And you know, I have an amazing home and I have a great career and I have a perfect family and everything's going my way. Oh, well, what do you say to that person about their need for Jesus Christ if everything is going their way in life?
1: Yeah. The problem is that person's not going to live forever. And after this life, there's something else. Death leads to a destination. And the Bible says we are made for eternity. And so you might be doing good right here, but once you're gone, what's going to happen then? See, the Bible gives the answers, Greg, to the three basic questions. Who am I? why am I here? What's going to happen to me when I die? Mm -hmm. We have no way of knowing this in and of ourselves. We have to have someone tell us this, and we have someone that told us this, that is God. And people think, well, I'm self-sufficient, I'm happy, this and that. Well, first of all, people aren't their whole life happy. Everybody has tragedy. Everybody has a problem sooner or later. So what I tell people, just be there for your friend, your relative, maybe your parents who've got everything going for them.
2: Just wait, because when a tragedy strikes, they will
1: turn to the person that has the answers, because they'll know they
2: don't have it address those questions. Why am I here? Uh, What were the three questions? Why am I here? Who am I? Yeah. Who am I? Who are you?
1: You're Don Stewart. Yeah. And you're Greg Laurie. We've we've settled that. Yeah. We got
2: that nailed. We've got that
1: one right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, We've been made in the image of God. Genesis 126 and 127. We're not a mistake of evolution. We're not here by blind chance. We've been
2: made. Let me stop you for a second. Can a Christian believe in evolution and the Bible simultaneously. Well, they can. They shouldn't because the Bible yeah. doesn't teach it. Can they or should they? Is
1: probably you should have asked the question that way.
2: You're right about that. <laughs> should they?
1: No, they should
2: not. Right. Yes, they
1: can and do, but they should not.
2: Very, <laughs> Just, thank you for that correction. You're, you're welcome. Well, well, he's right. <laughs> well, you know, yeah, of course they can. But I've heard some. <laughs> yeah. I've heard some believers say, well, you know, I believe in evolution, but I believe in the Bible too. And what that says to me is you don't really... You probably don't know much about either to say that because you wouldn't say that if you knew what evolution actually teaches. Are you evolved from an ape or a lower life form? Or, or do you believe what the scripture says about the creation of man?
1: Yeah, evolution and creation are like two horses riding the opposite direction. Yeah, exactly. You can't ride them both. You gotta ride one or the other.
2: So coming back to it, okay, who okay. am I? You're made in the image of you're God. You're made
1: in the image and likeness of God. You're different from the animal kingdom. Yeah. You're made for, you're, 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 you know, created. The la- the highlight of God's creation was humanity. On day five, he made the uh, birds and the, the fish. On day six, the land animals. The mm-hmm. end of day six, he made human beings. The crown of his creation, the only c- creation, That's made in the image and likeness of God. We can give love. We can receive love. Uh, We have the ability to communicate. That separates humans from the animal kingdom. So first of all, we have an identity. Yeah.
2: Why am I here? Who
1: am I? Yeah, purpose. Okay. Uh, The purpose is... why am I here? Why why are we here now? The purpose is we can have a relationship with God, to know Him. Yeah. Again, to, to, to find out who we are and then to let others know, like what you do, Greg, at the Harvest Crusade, to tell people, and all of us do that, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, because we we do have an identity, we do have a purpose, and our purpose is to, to live for God in this life. And you know, you really won't find your purpose until you do live for God. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of us probably at one time or another tried to find some purpose in, in things and something, and it never made it, never yeah. satisfied But once you let God, you know, in your life, let the Lord Jesus in your life, then you have a purpose for living. And what happens after I die? Then the destiny, yeah. Uh, This life, again, is not all that there is. After death comes eternity. We are made for eternity. We are not here by blind chance. We're here for a purpose, and the purpose goes beyond this life. And so identity, purpose, destiny, the three big questions everyone wants to know. The Bible gives the answer to those.
0: great insight today on a new beginning as pastor greg Laurie and author don stewart discussed the hard questions that non-believers ask and the good news is there's much more to come in this discussion on monday when we have more helpful advice on how best to respond to those curly questions and more from our most requested messages of the past year that's all next week right here on a new beginning For a copy of today's full message, get in touch with Vision Christian Store. It was called Greg Laurie and Don Stewart on the hard questions. Just go to visionstore.org.au or call 1-800-00-5011.
1: Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.